Hello, welcome to Emmanuel meeting in Brighton, Hove, at the Marina, in Hangleton, and at the Shoreham Centre. You're so welcome amongst us here today. And especially if you're a guest visiting with us, I just want to extend our welcome to you. So it's great to have you with us. I really hope that you have a great time uh, chatting to various ones of us and hearing from God as well. We're going to look at uh, the Bible today, and we're finding ourselves in the season of Advent which uh, is different from the season of Christmas. Christmas starts, of course, on Christmas Day, as you all know, and carries on. So you get uh, Lords of Leaping and Five Gold Rings and all of that stuff. That's our, after Christmas Day, right? We're in the season of Advent, in the run-up. And it's a season of hope and expectation. It's a season of looking forward uh, and excitement. So I, I, as you can probably tell, it's a time that I really enjoy in the year myself. And uh, I'm looking forward to reading the Word of God here this morning with you and speaking a little bit about uh, what, what we can learn from Mary, who is the mother of Jesus. We're going to be looking over these next few weeks, actually, at her experience of the run-up to the arrival of Jesus Christ on the earth. And she's an interesting character for many reasons, uh, revered by many and, uh, and with so many lessons both spiritual and practical, that we can draw from her own life. I hope that you're going to find this really rich and actually find that there's, even <clears throat> in speaking from Scripture about these events, there's something that directly relates to your own life in the present day. And uh, that's my prayer and my hope as we read the Scripture. Mary is one who received Jesus Christ in a totally non-figurative way, in a very real way, into the midst of her own life. And because of that, she has stuff to say to us who would call ourselves Christians, but she has stuff to say on a human level as well. And I want us to reach into both of those things as we consider Mary and her experience today. Really, I want to speak to us about the issue of desires. And you might think that that's strange, but Mary had desires for her own life. She had things that she wanted, things that she was hoping for. And you have things that you desire, things that you want, things that you hope for, things that you expect. And so do I, each one of us. In fact, I would go as far as saying that's kind of what it is to be human, that we are not just rational creatures. And people have tried to uh, wrestle with how is it that uh, humans are different from other, other animals? How are human beings animals yet somehow more? And people have offered various explanations uh, in a previous century that really centered around talking about rationality and our ability to reason, our ability to put together an argument. But I guess what I'm saying is that it's really the fact that we argue with each other, the fact that we do have desires that come into conflict, and the fact that we have things that we want in our lives, things that we reach for beyond ourselves. Those are the things that really make us human. So we're we're kind of desiring creatures, loving creatures, worshipping creatures even, rather than just rational creatures. And that's a contention that I want to make today as we look at Mary's story. So we're going to hear a reading from the video right now and hear the text spoken to us. And I just want you to listen with an open heart. I want you to listen in expectation that maybe the living God could speak to you today. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. 
and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That was beautiful. I'm not just saying that as an observation on the words or a personal and subjective thing. I want you to know that even hearing these words, you've been in the presence of beauty. You've heard something not just artfully done, not just cleverly constructed, but something that has been revealed by God, something that has been given as a gift to us today. And as I now move on to expound and explain some of the things that are going on in that text, I want you to know that I'm not performing an autopsy or a dissection on this text. I'm walking through it as one being taken by the hand by God. I'm walking through it. I'm being walked through it, and so are you today. But the words are more than words. The words are revelation from him, a communication of a loving God to you, to you. And when I say to you, I'm not just saying to particular ones of you or picking out someone who he's speaking to more. I want you to put yourself in the frame right now. I am speaking to you. I'm saying that the word of God, as it came to Mary through this angel, Gabriel, is coming to you. So let's look at this. What we have is a deeply personal interaction going on. I would say human, but one of the characters, whilst a person, is not a human. You have an angel who speaks in ways that we could understand. So we could say, well, there seems to be the the rational component is definitely there. There's a a language that can be shared between men and angels or women and angels in this case. And that's what we get. And we get a cross-section of God's call coming to a very, very ordinary person. And I don't know whether you consider yourself an ordinary person or whether you think you're rather special. For me, it kind of depends on the day. But for Mary, she's a poor nobody. She would regard herself in that way, and not in a maudlin sense. She just knows her place in life. She's not there thinking to herself, in some way, I, I will be a queen one day, or I will be revered by, uh, by major world religions, for a start, but favoured by God. Even as that, as a greeting, Gabriel comes to her and he says to her, uh, in the Latin, it's Ave Maria, gratia plena, hail Mary, full of grace. 
And various corners of Christianity have taken that to mean that Gabriel comes along and he sees something really special in this poor uh, peasant girl. And he says, oh, wow, you're, you're so full of grace. You will do for the plan of God. You, you are fitted for it. When rather what he is saying when he says, greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you, is not I, the Lord has recognised something in you. It's that the Lord wants to speak over you grace and favour. He wants to give you the gift. He wants to bless you to be a blessing. And this has always been God, the real God's way. This is what he does to Abraham. He says, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to many nations. And that's exactly what happens. And Mary even knows that story. She knows the Abraham story. She knows the Moses story. She knows all of the patriarchs. She knows how, uh, how it has gone with God promising things to his people and promising not just to his people, promising to make his people a blessing to the entire world. She knows this stuff. And so when this greeting comes along, she has a context for it. It does come as a huge shock. When it says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to, Gal- to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, we can pass over that pretty quickly and just not really get the gravity of what's being said. But, you know, just fill in the gap in a different way. If it said that Gabriel was sent from God, okay, we get the illustriousness of that bit. But then you just fill in, uh, Gabriel was sent, to God, uh, sent from God to Portsmouth or sent from God to Southampton or sent from God to Worthing, then you start to get a bit of a handle on what's being said. Although maybe these places are too illustrious. The the place where she lives is a backwater. The point is supposed to be God on high sees it all, and he sees the whole of creation laid bare before him, and he ranges his eyes across the earth looking for faithfulness and looking for faith and calling forth uh, uh, faith from people. And that's what's happening here. Now, Gabriel, just to say a few words on him, as he comes and approaches uh, this, this, uh, this poor peasant girl and she responds to him, we need to see, because uh, we can soften our view of what an angel is. Angels get uh, kind of cutified in our culture. They get put through a particular lens, which really, really would have been foreign to the people uh, of, of the Bible. And really, it's a strange oddity that we need to, I just need to highlight. I'm not, I'm not picking on it and saying we should think this rather than that. But we need to know how strangely different our view of angels is from what is actually depicted in Scripture. For example, Gabriel himself turns up in Daniel in chapter 8. And uh, he speaks to Daniel. This is, this is several centuries before this episode here with Mary. And he... He says various things to Daniel that disturb him and and perturb him. But I want to just draw your attention to the last few verses of chapter 8 of Daniel, where Daniel says, after he had finished uh, speaking, I basically needed bed rest for several days. That's the effect that meeting an angel has had upon um, Daniel, who's recognized as a faithful guy, as a good guy. He's not being told off or anything in, in uh, the message that's been brought to him. He's being commended. Uh, Gabriel even says to him a similar thing uh, that he says to Mary. He says, you are loved by God. So it's clear that there needs to be encouragement. He says to them, don't be afraid. You're loved by God. He says to Mary, don't be, be afraid. Don't fear. Why does he say that? Well, clearly there would be a temptation to fear when this message comes. And you read that when it says um, (laughs) Mary was greatly troubled at the saying. When The saying is, greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. That's what the angel said to her. 
But she says, but it says of her, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the English Bible is wonderfully understated there. What sort of greeting might this be? I, th- I think it would be more distressing. There's something that she, she feels when, when this happens that, that puzzles her and makes her start having to reach for categories that aren't established in her thinking. And the angel has to say to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you've found favor with God. And then he tells her stuff. He reveals things which are completely wonderful. But what I want us to look at is his words of her being highly favored versus the actual events that then occur in her life. Because you could be forgiven for saying, on assessment of your life, Mary, it doesn't look like you were that highly favored. It looks like a lot of pain. It looks like a lot of poverty. It looks like a lot of bereavement. Yet the text is clear, you're highly favoured. And she goes through all of this pain, all of this shame, for something else, because a new desire has been created in her. A desire to say, let it be unto me according to your word, as she says at the end of the passage that we've considered. She wants to say yes to God, and the desire for God in her life and in the life of all those who seek to follow him Gradually or quickly, in faltering steps sometimes, overtakes the desire for anything else. The desire for God takes a giant step over the desire for prosperity, over the desire for prominence, even over the desire for health perhaps. The desire for God. And the desire for God, as we shall see, is rewarded with more revelation of God's. God responds to it. And why is this such good news? It's good news because you, friend, and me, and everyone else are made for God. Augustine said, You made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts find no rest until they find it in you. And he assessed that correctly. He looked at this issue of desire that we're speaking about. What do you want? What is it that is being put before you? And there's a time of year that we're walking through even now where desires and wants just crowd in upon us. I don't know about you, but I'm being harassed on a daily basis by my online secret Santa who keeps urging me, urging me to put together an Amazon wish list so that my, uh, my appointed secret Santa can fulfill my desires to the tune of £25 or something along those lines. And wants and desires are all over the place, not just at Christmas. I mean, not just your Black Fridays, your Cyber Mondays and everything else. And the sales that are about to all deluge upon you with their information about what you could get, what you should want, telling you even what you should want. We just live in a culture day to day where it is a want-based culture. It is a need-based culture. And that's because people have found a way to identify and tap into what it is to fundamentally be human, to be a desirer, a wanter, a lover, a worshipper. But as Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Is your heart restless today? Is your heart restless? Does, does it find itself pulled in different directions, told to want different things? Finding desires that it didn't even generate itself, forecasted upon it, broadcasted, imparted, given to it you were made for God you were made to be fulfilled in relationship with him to be fathered to be blessed to be a blessing 
all of these things. I'm telling you the truth here. I'm cutting through all of the noise which tells you to desire this or tells you to desire that. And even your self-talk which tells you, I won't be fully complete until I have... I won't be fully complete until I'm established in... And then you can fill in the gap. My career, my relationship, respect, whatever it is that you feel. Oh, if that deficit was filled... I would be completed. I'm here to tell you that that desire is the desire for God and it will never ever be fulfilled until it is fulfilled in totality by the living God at his pleasure. And he wants to do it. He's pleased to do it. He's, he, he wants to favor you even today and show you that. But for Mary, the reality of her life, as I say, looked like a lot of other desires being quashed, being relativized and even being smashed and disappointed. There's a very famous uh, statue by Michelangelo, which um, is called Pieta, which uh, means pity. And it features a very young-looking Virgin Mary cradling not the body of the infant Christ, but the dead body of her son, the dead body of Jesus Christ who's come from the cross. And that's the reality of what Mary was facing. She's facing more of the revelation of God, more of a God in her life, but a definite relativizing of everything else and huge pain. Walking into, as being so incorporated into the plan of God, even seeing the cross from, from the foot of the cross and looking up and seeing her own son crucified, carrying the sins of the world, walking the path with obedience that he was charged to walk, it must occur to us as well that she walked her path with obedience. As she looked up, she has walked a path with obedience. As she cradles that body in the statue, she's walked the path with obedience. Would she trade it? I don't think so. Would she say, I wish I just had a quiet life with my betrothed, with Joseph, and that we had had a normal family and that we had just walked, walked out our days in quietness. No. Friend, being apprehended by God is worth everything. If he's calling you, if he's speaking to you today, don't harden your heart. Don't, don't turn away. Don't turn down the volume. You can, can't you? You can do this. You can, you can turn down the volume of different voices. And we get very used to it. You can put on the white noise machine to block out a crowd. You can put on your headphones when you're on the bus or the train. And we have those noise-isolating headphones that isolate it. They make it so that you can always hear the blood in your own skull pulsing around. Because you, we, we are, realize there's so much noise that we do need to cancel it to be able to hear aright. Mary does not cancel the voice of God. She does not volume down it. She's got the will to. It's not that she is, she is helpless in this. It's not that she has no choice. It's just that she has a choice placed before her and an option given to her which she identifies correctly as that for which she was made. Walking in the life of God. That's what you were made for too. That's what you were made for. That's what you were invited into periodically in your life, further and further, progressively invited further and further in to experience the life of God. And she knows that this is a fulfillment of uh, the promises of God. She knows that God has promised things to her people. And actually, Gabriel 
draws upon this when he says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Gabriel is citing to her scriptures. He's citing to her stories from her people that she knows. And he's saying to her, all of this will be fulfilled in you. Now, let's just note for a minute that he is also a serial surprise spoiler. He doesn't ask her if she wants to see the scam photos. He says, you're pregnant. Oh, great. Okay. What's more, it's a boy. Okay, so we're not leaving that to be a surprise then. That's not going in an envelope to be revealed at a later date. Clearly not. And he goes further. And, and here's his name. So he's, there's, he wants them to be announcer. Hence, this passage is called the Annunciation. That's what, what it's called in church history. But the announcement, because he really does announce it all to her. He lays it out. And she raises a very, very pertinent question that we need to consider. After he said all this, you're going to be the fulfillment of prophecy. You're going to walk into these things. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Only she doesn't. Actually, in the Greek, it doesn't say virgin there. It says, how will this be since I have not known a man? Hmm. And that's known in the biblical sense. She's asking about the birds and the bees. She's asking about the mechanics of this thing. And astutely, while she is a virgin, and we see that actually in verse 27, it does have the word for virgin. She, uh, the Gabriel comes to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. And it uses that. But she's not saying that. She's not saying, how will this be since I'm a virgin? It's a fact that she is. And that is a problem for being pregnant. There's certain transactions, I don't know how familiar you are, but have to occur before babies come forth. There's certain biological things that have to happen in your body for this to happen. And she says, how will this be, very frankly, since I have not yet known a man? Now it's on the cards. She's betrothed. She's expecting to know a man. One of the answers that could have come back would be, oh, well, Joseph's going to do this and everything will be happy ever after. That, it's going to be like that. And she's, she's asking a nuts and bolts question. I hope you don't think I'm being crude, but I, I really want to draw our attention to this, that she's, she is asking, how is this going to happen since I have not known a man specifically? Not just I have this status because I haven't done this. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He dignifies her question. He answers it. And we need to compare this with something that happens earlier in the first chapter where the angel Gabriel visits a relation of a relative of Mary's called Zechariah. He says this in verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. You see, Gabriel has said to him, your wife will have a child. This is the mother of John the Baptist. So this is forecasted before. But Zechariah says to the angel, he doesn't say, um, how will this be? Which is what Mary says. He said, how shall I know this? How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife, very diplomatically, he says, is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you didn't believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. 
So you can sense something of the response that Gabriel gives. Zechariah, incidentally, is a priest as well. So when Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God, he's, he's rebuking. He's saying that there, there should be a bit of knowledge for one who stands in the presence of God, like you, Zechariah. You know that when God speaks, it happens. And Zechariah's questioning is around his wife's barrenness, as we see, that she couldn't have a child, that she's, she's old and she's unable to have a child. Zechariah has a different way of addressing the angel. And we should see, we should really make note of that. He doesn't address him in the same way that Mary does. How shall I know this? How can I comprehend it? How can I control it, perhaps? That he's there saying, how can I, I get my head around this and be the boss of what's happening here? It's not a posture of humility. It's a posture of grasping to understand. You know, it's a rationalism. Whereas Mary asked the relational question, how will this be since I'm a virgin, since I have not known a man, since that relationship hasn't happened? And the angel tells her, well, that relationship hasn't happened, but this relationship has. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Did you hear the Trinity in this verse? A revelation of God as she walks in, even... Note this, you can walk in obedience to God in questioning. That's what she does. She questions him. She says, how will this be? How will this be? She's not, it's not a spiky question. It's not an irreverent question, but it's a question. It's a doubt. It's something that needs answering. God's not afraid of that. God invites that, calls people to do business with him. Have you got questions that you need to ask of God? You must ask them in prayer. You must ask them of leaders. You must ask them of people in the church who you look at them and you think, well, maybe they're a bit ahead of me. Maybe they know a bit more than I do. In humility, ask people. Say, this has been bothering me. How can God be like this? How can God be like this and still say that he's like this? Working things together. He's not afraid of your questions. He invites them. Don't bottle them up. Don't push them down. We've just done a whole series speaking about the the pressure and the misery caused by anxiety in the lives of many people. And a lot of that comes from isolation. It comes from a sense that you feel you should be walking alone, that you should be answerable for your own life and you, you cannot depend on someone outside of you. It's such a lie. It's such a lie. God provides for you. He gives you people in your life who bring wisdom in who hear your questions, who share your tears, who share your joys. And that's because that's what he is himself, a father, not just a father in title alone, but a father who comes alongside, who obliterates even the best of fathers. Father is just just a pointer. He is the true and better father. And he comes in to speak to you and to hear your questions, to hear your heart, to hear your pain even. So she she walks in obedience. She realizes that it's her receiving the cumulative blessing of all of these promises of God. And she hears from the angel a new revelation that it's going to be the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity who will come upon you, the power of the Most High, first person that will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God, the, third, the second person, that you have the whole Trinity here present in the, the pregnancy, in the conception, 
Now, the rest of the pregnancy is normal. Consider that as well, that she walks through. She receives Jesus into her life in this profound way and then walks through delivering this child who is the Son of God. Now, I've spoken for quite a while about things like virgin births and triune gods and uh, all of these things, which I haven't really questioned in any way, but there might be a question in some of your minds that says, okay, well, that hangs together in its own little world, but surely this is fanciful talk. This is a dream because you're talking about things that are supernatural. You're talking about things that are beyond the natural material world. And I just need to address that briefly with two things. Firstly, yes, it's weird. Virgin both births don't happen. That's not the sort of thing that happens. I acknowledge that. I don't want you to think that I'm the sort of guy who just goes around thinking, yeah, that's totally normal. That's like one of the options, virgin birth. Well, you know, you could get married and have a family, or you just have a virgin birth. You know, it's, it's, it's not really on the card. I accept that, and I acknowledge that. Good. It's weird. Yes. Agreed. However... I don't think, even for the hardest of materialists, and I don't mean materialist in the sense that you're re- really going shopping this week and looking forward to Christmas in a completely unholy way. This is there's not the kind of materialist I have in view. A materialist who doesn't believe that God doesn't exist. He doesn't believe that God exists. He doesn't believe that angels exist. Uh, she doesn't believe anything like those things exist. Okay, a materialist, material matter. That's all there is. Right. What I want to say, even for the hardest of the materialists, the hardest matter-committed person, you're still faced with the same problem that we're faced with here, saying, could a virgin birth happen? Why? Well, because where did matter come from? Where did any of the stuff that we see around us in the world, the natural world, come from? And again, like if you don't like philosophy, you think that's a silly question. All philosophical questions sound like this, by the way. And they're important, they're, they're irritating, they're annoying for those who are, who are uninterested and fascinating for those who are too fascinating, perhaps. But stick with it. Matter, where did it come from? You haven't got many options. There's not much you can say. You can say matter is eternal. Okay, well, that essentially makes matter God or sovereign or something like that. It means that matter as a thing is eternal and more important and dictative of everything else that happens. Second thing, matter came from something else that was created. That just shifts the problem back a step, doesn't it? And you say, well, something created, created matter. Uh Uh-huh. Still with the problem. Third thing, an uncreated creator made matter. Okay, something that is immaterial made what is material, posited it and brought it forth, created it from nothing, created it from no matter. Yes. So what I'm saying in essence is, You might struggle with the idea of this particular virgin birth that we're talking about with Mary, but everyone's pretty committed to a virgin birth of the universe, which is a bigger deal. And that's a bigger problem. And I think that that needs to be borne in mind when we consider this relatively smaller miracle that we're considering. Oh, don't get me wrong. The most profound thing that has happened in human history that God enters into his own creation for the sake of recreating and redeeming, buying back and lifting out of the the muck and mire of life and taking to the highest place in glory all that he's created. Yeah, I think that's an important miracle. But in terms of even forming the arena for that to happen in, you have to say 
something miraculous or something that looks for all the world, even if you don't use that language, like a miracle, has happened in bringing everything to bear. So Mary faces two unknowns, and that's kind of the immediate unknown, the how will this be? These sort of things don't happen. And her questioning is dignified, and it's answered by the angel. She also faces this thing, a future unknown. Now, this is to do with the consequences. Okay, we've established how this is going to come about, but what's going to happen to me? And you might have thought this as well. If God has spoken to you in your life, maybe he's even speaking to you today, maybe he's speaking to you for the first time today. And what that feels like is that cloud coming near to you when it says the Most High will overshadow you. Gabriel's making an allusion back to the way that God would appear as a cloud to his people. There, present with them, but not comprehensible by them. He turns up as a mystery, revealing himself very definitely manifesting in their presence, but blowing their minds, unintelligible to them in some ways, unless he makes himself intelligible. And when he does... It makes a demand on your desires. It makes a dis- demand upon your heart. And this is what happens to Mary here. A desire is birthed in her for the living God, who she's heard about, who's there in the stories of her people. But her obedience affords more revelation from God. And that is the reward, even, of obedience in Jesus' mission, that you receive more of him again, which is what you're designed for. So she walks into an unknown future of shame, really. She's going to be ashamed. It has to be said. How is it going to be taken when she tries to explain her story to people in the marketplace? Even of Joseph, who is betrothed to her, it is said that he planned to divorce her quietly because to break a betrothal in this era would be like you'd have to go through a formal procedure. It's It was a different thing. And Joseph, it says, because Joseph was a good man, he planned to divorce her quietly. Now, if he hadn't been a good man, he could have divorced her noisily, publicly, brought shame, maybe even endangered her life. Certainly, she would have been ostracized in a patriarchal society where women depended upon men. She is in a place of peril which makes it all the more astonishing that she says to the angel, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. I know this story. I know the history. I know the things that you're saying. And I know that you're telling me I'm walking into the fulfillment of them. And then let it be to me according to your word. The fact that her desires are lined up by God with his desires in that instant. In another place in the New Testament, it tells us, That for Christians, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his will. Change that word will to want. It's God who works in you to want what he wants and to act according to his desires. Now, that might sound horrendously overbearing. And if it were anyone but God, I would agree. Actually, yeah, I wouldn't want any, just anyone coming along and saying, I'm going to make you want what I want and do what I do. Oh, yeah. It matters hugely who you're talking about. But if you're talking about your creator, 
who is not just your creator in a neutral sense. He is a committed creator, a loving creator, a sustainer, a glorifier, a savior, who desires to lift you from the pit that you're in and place you in a place of dignity. When you know that that's the one who is making these demands of you, who's changing your desires in such a way, you can't do much more than say, let it be to me according to your words. Now, when I say you can't, I don't mean that you are duty-bound or legally bound or anything like that. I mean that your heart has been moved. This isn't in a soppy sense. I mean the heart as in the seat of your desires and your motivations. The thing that drives you has been changed. That's what the, that's what the Christian means when he, he or she talks about the heart. It's the seat of the willing, the seat of the desires. And that's what's happened here. So Mary walks into potential shame and danger and derision. And in this, she's a lesson to everyone who would follow Jesus. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And he wasn't lying. He wasn't, wasn't even in some senses being figurative. He's saying, yeah, okay, in this life you have trouble. You have pain. And it's not incidental. It's because you've stuck your head above a parapet. But the reason that you've done that is because God has taken hold of your heart and said, I matter more. He said to you, friend, he's saying now, he matters more. He loves more. He delivers more. The things that you want might deliver, might deliver, but they won't continue to deliver. Everything in the last analysis is not enough to fill the human heart because you are made for God. You are made for fulfillment in him. You are made for worshipping him. You are made for relationship with him. Now, did you notice something as well in verse 37? In 36, Gabriel says to her, after he's told her how she will become pregnant, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. That's John the Baptist. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Barren, unable to have children. And then he says this, But nothing will be impossible with God. Those words have been life to Christians under persecution throughout the ages, through Christians going through dark valleys in their own life, troubled in their own mind, calling to mind these words, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And I want you to notice just one thing today about that. Gabriel says this to her because she questions. Gabriel reveals this word of God to her, this encouragement, words to live by for her and for everyone in between and for you and for I, nothing impossible with God. A truth that you could surmise and you could, uh, you could come up with in other ways, but here just made explicit, put forward, because she wrestled. Because she didn't just say, she, she, I, I guess there's a whole raft of conceivable things. She could have said, no. I don't want it to be as you say. Or she could have said, yeah, let it be to me as you say, but she didn't even ask how it was going to happen. Some people can think that they're being holy and pious by just saying, yes, I'm going to let go and let God. 
I'm not going to wrestle with my doubts. I'm not going to talk to anyone. Friend, take the advice of this girl here. How will this be since I am a virgin? How's it going to work, God? How are you going to do this? Pray those prayers. Be honest. Ask. Ask leaders who God has given to the church. It says that he gives men and women to the church as gifts. Receive gifts that he has put around you. These people who can advise, can be sounding boards for you. But even more than that, pray. Ask him. Ask him. Bend the ear of God on any number of subjects. What do you think that you can't say to God? What do you think that you can't pray to him? He sees your heart. He knows how you feel. He knows what you want. He knows what you're crying out for. He is the deliverer. He is the lover of your soul today. And for all days, he wants to reach into the very heart of you, the heart that you yourself would look at and condemn and say, there's nothing but blackness inside of me. There's nothing but darkness. There's nothing but wrong motivations. He says, even now, nothing is impossible with God. It is not the calculation that you make. It's the calculation that he makes. Call out to him. Cry out to him today. However you need to do it. You might need to phone someone. You might need to text. You might need to uh, go and speak to someone in person. That's better, by the way. Gosh, you meet, you meet a real person. You have one of these personal interactions like we've been looking at today, and God ministers to you through his beloved creatures and speak to the living gods and find rest and find peace this Christmas. So we've talked about a lot of things. I just want to land this in talking about receiving Christ. Receiving Christ, and this isn't just for people who wouldn't call themselves Christians. We receive Christ continually in our lives. Is Christ welcome in your life today? That's the question. (laughs) And you could be a Christian decades, and then you wake up on a day, you wake up on one day and you say, yeah, Christ is very welcome. The, The welcome mat's out today. And then the next day, I'm not sure the welcome mat's out. The cares of life, the worries. Things have clouded in. Things have suddenly taken a different shape. Is he welcome? Christians, we pray in our Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. We ask for him to bring his kingship to bear in his creation, in the world and in our own lives. And he graciously does it. We we pray this stuff all the time. Don't let it become formulaic. Let it be real. Your will be done. We say it along with Mary, let it be done to me according to your will. And I just draw our attention to the end of this Gospel of Luke, where Jesus, facing the cross, says the words which he will know that his mother Mary spoke to the angel. He echoes them, even as he considers the cup of suffering that he's about to face. He says in Luke 22, Verse 42, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Amen, Lords.